Well, greetings, everyone. It's great to see you on this Labor Day weekend. Can we just thank the Lord for being so mighty and good and worthy of our praise, worthy, worthy of our worship? I'm just delighted to be a part of that with you. Uh, for those of you who are right here, welcome. For those of you who are joining us as part of our online community here at New Hope Church in the Minneapolis area, thank you so much for participating with us as we worship Jesus, as we spend time in the Word of God, as we spend time together. My name is Matthew, and if I don't have the opportunity to know you, I'd like to do that. If you're a guest here, maybe this is your very first time. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the New Hope Church family. You know, I was thinking this morning that uh, this incredible invitation from Jesus, we see it in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. He says, now, now listen to me here, he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. That's a good word, isn't it? Jesus says to you, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And I'm thinking that is a very holistic invitation. And the chiefest rest of all, is our salvation found through Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. We just sang about that, that darkness has fled that empty tomb, all right? So if by chance today, as you're hearing my voice, you do not have a personal connection with Jesus Christ, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If today that is you, you may be coming to church, you may be tuning in from someplace far away, but perhaps the only reason you're participating is you're spiritually hungry and you know there's something missing, but you don't know Jesus yet personally. You've not called on him to be your savior and Lord and friend. Right now is the time to do so. Right now is that moment. Right now is the time to say, Lord, I am tired. I am broken by sin. Shame is eating me alive. I can't hardly look at myself in the mirror and not feel despair or discouragement. And I understand, I'm learning that Jesus is God's provision for my salvation so I can be forgiven, have no condemnation, so I can be free and have purpose, so I can be clean. And so right now, oh Lord, I'm calling on you. Right now, friend, this is your moment. Call on him and just say, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe Jesus is that savior. And right now I'm confessing him as my friend and Lord and savior. And I'm asking him to take my life and to live in me and to lead me and guide me all my days. Oh, if this is you, let's pray right now. Father, I cry out to you right now, broken and needy and wanting new hope in Jesus Christ. And so it is. I recognize he is the Savior. He's my Savior. And I pray that, that, Lord, you would, through Jesus, forgive me of my sins and make me clean. And I call on him in faith, and I believe him as my Savior and Lord. And I, I want to be made new right now, and I want to live all my days for him. Through your power and through your help, thank you that you love me that much. And today, Lord, I take hold of that love in faith. 
Oh, God, make it so. Make it so. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So listen, if that's you, you let me know. I want to know. I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you. I want to connect you to people that can help you grow. You let me know, all right? Now, in speaking of this invitation, this invitation to come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I said a moment ago that it is a, uh, as it were, a holistic thing that God has done, an invitation that Jesus gives. And it's not only about our salvation and our purpose and our freedom in Christ, it's also about how we can live every single day of our lives. With that in mind, what I want to do for the next few minutes with you here on this Labor Day weekend is explore from God's Word, the heart of God, and the, the, uh, as it were, the modeling of one of the great apostles, what it is to have good, holy, caring self-care for our lives. Good self-care for our lives. I saw a meme uh, here just the other day, and I thought, boy, that sure speaks to me. Uh, it said this, adulting is perpetually wiping down the counters, all right? It's like all we do. We just wipe down the counters. If life feel that way for you sometimes, it's like all you do is you're just in a rut, and you're just constantly, just constantly cleaning something up. And at some point, we provide all this care for everything else. At some point, it's like, okay, I need to provide good, holy self-care or care for myself. And what might that even look like? Well, before we can even look into the scriptures to see what that could look like, I got to highlight just at least two areas where this, uh, where, where, where we get tripped up and we don't care for ourselves well. Two that I think are really common. Here's, here's one of them, all right? I want you to imagine this with me. Uh, I want you to imagine with me that you're, you've gotten sick and, and maybe you've got a fever, you've got a cough, you're just exhausted, body aches, you know the drill. And so uh, you stay home from work, which makes sense. That's what we traditionally would do. We'd stay home from work. We'd stay home from school. We call in sick, right? And the idea is that we would then rest. But no more. That's not the way the world works today, right? Why? Because of Zoom. Because of Zoom now, you can be at home sick and you're still, it's just a strange expectation that's now out there. You, you still get to call in because we don't get your germs, but we sure get your attention. All right? And so it is you call in, whether you're sick or not, you participate. And you know what? This is ridiculous. But it is extremely common, and I'll be straight up, I've run into it, I have fallen into it. I've been that guy that's calling in because I have this strange sense of obligation that even though I'm sick, I still have to participate. And well, here's, here's something I, I'm thinking about. I want you to see this with me. Uh, we're conditioned to believe that we are human doings and not human beings, all right? Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, we're, we're conditioned to believe that our identity is in what we do. And so we just keep going and going. We're wiping the counters. We don't stop. And you know what? This thinking needs to stop because it's unhealthy. It's not holy stewardship of who God has made us to be as image bearers, fearlessly, wonderfully made by him. Okay? So that's one, that's one very common thing right now uh, that's out there in the workspace. Maybe you have experienced it either as the sick person uh, or, or the employer or fellow employee who, who has the expectation, well, she better show up anyway because we got Zoom now and we need her. Right? Don't, don't, don't contribute to that dynamic. Okay, so here's a second observation uh, that I make that trips us up when it comes to self-care. 
Uh, and and, and it, it is that we have this backward sense of duty. And it's related to what I just said a moment ago, but, but let, me, let me press in a little more. This backward sense of duty might be driven by pride. It might be driven by, by a, a highly conscientious spirit. Maybe we just overthink things. I, I sure can. Uh, it might be driven by this sense of, of, well, they just need me. And it's maybe not pride as much as it is just this uh, conditioning that the culture or family dynamics or even the workspace has, has brought about in your life or mine. Uh, but here, notice this, all right? We feel duty-bound to things or people that don't necessarily need us, all right? You know, the reality is, in many cases, we just think they need us. They really might not. They really don't. Okay, we think they do. And, and notice this right here. This is very important for all of us. Perhaps, perhaps this might be one of those things God has you take hold of today that you've got to take hold of. Ready? No is a complete sentence. Can we just, can we just acknowledge that? The word no is a complete sentence all by itself. You can, you can say no. And you don't actually have to qualify it. It, no can be enough. No. And what's going to happen is you'll say no, and the people who aren't used to hearing no are going to look at you like, well, you've got to explain that. And guess what? You don't have to explain that. You can just say no. And that's okay. All right? Can we just acknowledge it's okay? It's really okay to say no. Now, self-care is so important. This conversation is really important, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what your a personality profile is, what your vocation is, what your background is. All of us as image bearers, fearlessly and wonderfully made by the Most High God, need to steward self-care. We need to steward this temple that God has given us and take good care of it. So, uh, as I think about these things, and, and I, I have Jesus' words just echoing in my mind, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, over and over, I hear that, uh, my mind then goes to one of the apostles, the Apostle Paul. And now, let me say something about the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is the most famous apostle of them all, likely, maybe Peter, Paul certainly is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Uh, Paul is, without a doubt, the greatest theologian to ever live. Okay, fine. Other than Jesus himself, let's acknowledge that. Okay, kind of the, the right answer. But Paul's, Paul's this incredible theologian. He's the greatest church planter, this visionary, pastor, uh, mission, uh, missionary, missiologist. I mean, this guy is everything, as it were. We might think of him as the pastoral goat of Christianity, right? The greatest of all time. And he's a sage by the time we uh, find him in his elderly years, more gentle, a little more, uh, as it were, um, measured. But we learn something from Paul. And, well, we learn many things from Paul, but we learn something from Paul of all things, about self-care. If you have your Bible, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You'll, you'll see it here on the screens. And I want you to just to listen carefully as I read what Paul has penned here. 
I'll explain the context in a moment, but, but listen to this. Paul's writing to his friend Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. By, by the way, any of you ever been deserted by somebody? All right? Well, Paul, Paul gets that. He goes on to his friend Timothy. He writes, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. I love this. All right, this is such a great passage. And you may be thinking, why is it such a great passage, Matthew? It seems so simple, but that's the beauty of it. Let me just explain here some context. Please hear me. Second Timothy is Paul's last writings. It's his last book, his last letter that we have. And let me be really clear here. He is writing this days, weeks, maybe months before he is to be executed. And he knows this. Now, please hear me. Did you hear that? He knows he's going to be killed. He knows he's going to be executed by the Roman authorities. He's just buying time. Here he is a seasoned missionary, pastor, church planter, theologian, leader, lover of God, lover of people. But because of his commitment to the gospel, he's also a dead man coming. He's going to be executed. And history would suggest to us uh, that indeed he was eaten by the lions in the arena in Rome. This is around the year, when this is written, this is probably the year uh, early to mid-60s of the first century. Now, let me ask you a question. If the greatest missionary, theologian, church planter, pastor of that era is just days or weeks or months away from dying and he's penning his final words, what might you expect he will talk about? We might think he's going to talk about the, the glories of the triune Godhead. Maybe he's going to unpack some details about the eschaton, the end times. Perhaps he will go and do a deep dive on the atonement of Jesus Christ. All of these things would be incredible. And all oh, that we could have still more of Paul's thoughts on any of these things. But in his last hours, those are not the things he spoke of. What he wrote about instead was basic self-care. Basic self-care. And it goes along these lines. I need a friend. I want my coat. Hey, and can you bring those books to me, please? It's really simple. And if we were to take time to unpack it, but we won't, if we looked at the rest of the passage, we'd see it's also an opportunity for him to vent about some deep pain he's got relationally and in ministry. 
It's an incredible chapter. It's intimate, very personal, very authentic. And from this chapter, I learn at least three laws for effective self-care. And here's number one. Companionship matters. Companionship matters. In those verses there, beginning in verse 9, we see a handful of names mentioned. One of them is somebody whose story makes Paul rather sad, Demas. This is a man that apparently had been walking with the Lord, walking with Paul and the others, and for whatever reason, he, he just walks away from it all, and it breaks Paul's heart. And then Paul mentions some other names of, of men that clearly are fulfilling some ministry responsibility, and they've been taken away or moved on to various places to carry out their work. He mentions Luke, who is a dear brother, and Luke's whole story is itself uh, incredible. It would merit uh, an extensive conversation. We see him introduced to us in the book of Acts, and he appears throughout Paul's writings. He's, He's clearly a very committed and faithful friend to Paul, and he's right there with Paul. And then Paul mentions Timothy himself, the reader. (laughs) He's like, listen, by the way, can you please come and and bring Mark with you? Mark's Mark's good for the ministry. And that's a remarkable notation, by the way, because if we read the book of Acts, we realize that earlier, many years earlier, Paul and Mark had a falling out. And now, here in Paul's older age, they are reconciled. And Paul says, yeah, he's good for ministry. That's an incredible thing. That's a whole big discussion in itself as well. I love the idea, hear me now. I love the idea that in Paul's final hours, weeks, he's thinking about just friendship. And in effect, he says, I just need a friend. I need some friends around me. As a matter of fact, he's a little urgent in it. Maybe because he knows his days are numbered. He he says there in verse 21, uh, if I'm not mistaken, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 21, he says, look, come before winter. <laughs> come before it gets too cold. I really want to see you before you can't travel. Please make the effort. Hurry. I need a friend. How many of you need a friend? How many of you need a safe person to just lay it all out, to laugh, to cry, to just be completely authentic without fear? Guys, this is such a rarity in our world today. (laughs) The other day, uh, well, actually some weeks ago now, Krista and I, we were having dinner with some friends uh, one night uh, here in town. He's a pastor at a church across town. She, of course, uh, his wife, just she and Krista, man, they just, they're so much alike, it's scary. And, and, we, we, we got together. We're, when we get together, we close restaurants. And what I mean by that is when we get together, we gather, say, at supper hour, and next thing you know, uh, the, the server's like, I'm so sorry, but we got to close in about five minutes. And we realized we've been sitting in the booth for three to four hours. And this happened to us just the other night. And, and you know, it was so great to, to talk about our kids, to talk about uh, our, our broader families, our parents, we're in that, like many of you, we're in that sandwich generation where we've got young adult kids that we're wanting to see just take off and fly. And we've got, we've got elderly parents that, that are, instead of flying, they're, they're beginning to descend. 
And, and, and so we, we talked about that. We talked about the, the challenges of ministry, the joys of it. We talked about, about aspirations we have for when we're older. We talked about music that we love and books that we're reading. And, and uh, we laughed and then we cried at the table at various points. We asked hard questions of each other. Uh, one of them asked me straight up, or, so have you, have you gotten that counselor that you said you wanted to see? Yeah, I've started, I've started that therapy. Oh, that's great. And it's because of that voice more than any that I began something like that a while back. You know, we all need friends like that. Our, our life group has had that role for us as well. And we're so thankful for the authenticity, the, the safety. Do you have a friend like that? I want to urge you to do something here. I want you to commit to just pray, God, raise up for me that kind of friend. Show her to me. Show him to me. Show them to me. And not only God raise them up, but help me, help me to step toward it with courage and humility. You see, a lot of times we say, well, I don't really have those kind of friendships. I don't have, then pray. Start there and ask the Lord to show you and to help orchestrate it. Friendships matter. And Paul, right here in his waning days, he's like, I I need some friends. I mean, really, things are stressful, things are hard. I need need a friend. Can you please come? Can you bring Mark with me? Luke's here, which is great. I'd love, can we just get together, please? And hurry. Hurry hurry before the roads get bad. Second thing, not only does companionship matter, but creature comforts matter. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, I have shared this, what I'm telling you now, I have shared this all over the world. I've shared this to church, uh, house church pastors in Shanghai. I have shared this with church planters that come out of Syria, out of Damascus. They're in Lebanon. I have shared this uh, with ministry students right here in Minneapolis. And do you know a common response every time I share this particular point is, can we really do that? Because that seems unspiritual or almost decadent to talk about creature comforts. We have this strange association with things that are comfortable with things that are maybe evil. And I want to submit to you that it is in part a profoundly naive understanding of who we are as image bearers and a belief that has been ingrained within our cultural mores for centuries that that which is material is inherently evil. And yet that which is material, i.e., for example, the the, uh, human person is fearlessly and wonderfully created by the Most High God. And the care of such matters. Creature comforts matter. And I notice here in verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he says, look, I need some friends. And then he says, by the way, can you bring my cloak, please? I left it there with Carpus and Troas. Could you bring that? I'd like to have it. Now, this is a curiosity to me. By cloak, we're talking about a, like a coat or a robe of some sort. Uh, for you and me in our context today, we might think of it as our favorite hoodie, 
that we put on, right? Or, or a favorite sweater. But here's the thing, please hear me. I'm sure Rome has coats. I mean, truly. There's probably an old navy just down the road. And, and so it's not like they weren't available. Rome is, is like the Washington, D.C. and the Beijing and the Moscow of that, that era. It's got shopping malls. But no, he wanted that particular cloak. Why? Maybe it had a smell that was nostalgic to him. Maybe the threadbare nature of it told a story. Maybe he got it from a friend, and that meant something to him. One of my favorite coats that I wear, indeed my favorite, actually, nothing even comes close, is my dad's old army field jacket. I can't wait for it to get crisp enough out for me to comfortably wear that. Now, I'm not a military guy. I was on my way to the Navy Academy when I fell in love with a high school gal and decided she was more important, and I blew the Navy Academy, and I blew uh, being an Eagle Scout. And then she left me. It's like, well, well, in God's providence, then I went off to a different college, and I met my dear Krista. So God is sovereign, and praise God for that, and he redeems big mistakes. But here's the thing. Even though I don't have that military story, I sure love wearing my dad's field jacket because it's my dad's. And I am so proud of him. He's the greatest man alive. And by the way, he was here a couple weeks ago and a number of you came up, hey, you're the greatest man alive. And he's like, please stop saying that, Matthew. But dad, you're the greatest man alive. I see you there in Knoxville, Tennessee watching right now. All right, so here's the thing. Maybe this was Paul's version of his daddy's field jacket. And we may say, still though, that's unspiritual. It's, I mean, who, what's the big deal? But imagine with me then, think about that moment when, when two angels, or I'm sorry, when an angel prepared two meals for Elijah as he fled Jezebel. And between those two meals, God allowed Elijah to just sleep deeply. Or the bread and the wine that Melchizedek brings to Abraham. Or the cushion on which Jesus slept on that boat on the Sea of Galilee. Or the grain that the disciples picked as they're walking through a field on that Sabbath day as their stomachs grumbled with hunger. Or the many times that we see Jesus himself pull away and just go off into the wilderness place to just be quiet and soak in the countryside and be with his father. Creature comforts matter. Do you know the, gospel, uh, the, the book of James, and we're gonna, Lord willing, starting in October, we're gonna spend the whole fall through the book of James. I can't wait. James chapter one, verse 17, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no shifting of shadows. We need to find some good creature comforts with which to care for our lives. Maybe it's a good bike ride rhythm or a warm blanket around a crackling fire. Perhaps it's just a good meal, good food somewhere. Or maybe 
a nap. Yesterday, I'll tell you straight up, I'm the world's biggest Tennessee volunteer football fan. I was so excited. I had my ball cap on. I had my t-shirt on. I had my bright orange coffee mug that says Vols on it. And I sat down on the couch and they're on TV beating up on uh, Virginia, which is Chris's team. And they, uh, let me tell you, they won big. It was awesome. And you know, I slept through probably three quarters of it. And I'm thinking, I've been waiting all year for college football to start, and I slept through half the game, more than half the game. You know, but maybe the moment of just taking a nap matters, and we don't need to feel guilty about such things. It's okay for Paul to say, hey, can you bring me not just any coat, but that coat, please? Creature comforts matter. What are yours? What, what can be yours? All right, third thing, third thing here. The canon matters, C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N, not big guns, but this canon. So canon is an Egyptian word actually, and canon, uh, and it means a reed or a, a, a standard of measurement. It's based on, on the reeds that would come out of the Nile River. They were very straight. And so the, the straightness of those reeds became a measuring standard. And metaphorically, that has become language for the law or for that which is authoritative. And so you, you hear language of canon law or, or the canon which is, say, the Constitution. Or in our world as Christians, the biblical canon, the canon which is the Bible. So a uh, canon matters. And in verse 13 of 2 Timothy 4, we see Paul says, now, now he's asked for friends. He said, hey, bring me my coat. And now he's like, hey, bring, bring me the canon. Now, he doesn't say canon, but here's what he does say. Bring me, bring me my books. And then also those parchments. So he, he distinguishes between the two. Now, here's what I think the books are. Personally, I think that the books Paul's referencing are Greek philosophers, Latin philosophers, histories of of uh, the world at that time, uh, poems, uh, the, the latest uh, thinking or, or stories about uh, heroes and sports figures and so forth. And the reason I think that is when you read Paul's writings, his writings are infused with references to all of that, either directly or indirectly. He quotes some of the philosophers. He speaks about, well, the people of, of Crete uh, are known for this, according to this, this writer. I mean, he... He, he is an extremely well-schooled man. And no doubt, he's paying attention to everything going on in his culture and, and such. And, and uh, he's, he's reading far and wide. And, you know, that's good for you and me. And I get it. Today, in our day and age, with the uh, things that are available, maybe it's not reading. Maybe it's listening to a podcast. Maybe it's soaking in a good movie, a documentary. The point is, Paul is intentional about wanting to feed his heart and mind with something meaningful. For me, boy, I love Daniel Silva, uh, his Gabriel Alon series. I, I, anything that, that John Grisham writes, this good old Southern boy loves to get a hold of that, right? Uh, the, I, I, this past year, I've read, again, Ben-Hur. It took a lot longer than I remembered it should. And then, and then the book, The Robe. Right now, I'm reading that great classic, Master and Commander. And uh, I've got a biography waiting on me on Gandhi's life. All right. What are you reading that's good for you? Well, Paul clearly has those kind of things, but notice, then he distinguishes that with the parchments. What are the parchments? 
I think it's the Word of God. It's like especially the parchments or the scrolls. And I think it's the Hebrew Scriptures. Or maybe some of the seminal New Testament writings that are just now beginning to surface about that time. Like the book of James or other things. And Paul wants access to that. And you know, friends, hear me. We need to be people that allow our minds to be fed well. And most of all, we need to be people of the book, the book. People who are of the word of God. Notice, notice this here. We need to be people of the book. Now, guys, please, if you hear nothing else today, hear this next line. Not for information about God, but for intimacy with God. All right? I don't care how smart we are when it comes to the Bible. I want to know, are we walking with Jesus? I know a lot of people that can punch their way out of any wet paper bag theologically, but they don't know Jesus. They don't walk with him. They don't look like him. They don't smell like him. And you and I need to be those people. We can sit and soak all day with some of the best theology and, and teaching that can be found. And my goodness, we've got such great teachers here in our church, and the internet is just filled with no end of access to our favorite, you know, personality preacher. So what if you're not walking with Jesus, intimate, close, connected to him? And we need to be those people, right? Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says this, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and wonderful things that you do not know. That's the translation I have it memorized in. Call to Jesus. Every time you open up this book, the parchments, the scrolls, as Paul certainly wanted and then did, Lord, show yourself to me. Help me to see you. Help me to know you. Take even the faintest morsel and just chew on it over and over again from the Word of God. You know, as we uh, begin to wrap up our time here today, I'm reminded of something. I want you to hear this. This is really sweet to me. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed... Hours before he went to the cross, three tangible things came together. Friendships, some creature comforts, good food and drink. And the unfolding story of the word of God. And we call that the Lord's Supper or communion where Jesus with his disciples around a meal spoke of what God is doing and has revealed both in the written word and in the living word which is Jesus. On that night in the middle of that meal Jesus took some bread and he broke it 
And he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. Now the disciples had to be so perplexed. What is he talking about? His body broken? And what they could not possibly appreciate, but of course Jesus knew, was in a matter of hours, his body would be broken on that cross. And it is mind-boggling to me that the sinless, holy Jesus allowed himself to become broken so all of us sinful, rebellious people could be made whole. He has made me whole, and I'm so thankful. And therefore, I have new hope. Later in that same meal, Jesus took a goblet of wine. This was known as the cup of redemption, celebrating when the the Israelites in ancient Egypt had been redeemed or purchased or bought from their slavery by the shed blood of lambs. And so when they would drink this cup, they'd remember that moment. And so it's time to remember that moment. Jesus takes the cup. He passes it to his disciples. They drink from it commonly. Except Jesus says to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. And the disciples had to have been wondering, your blood? What are you talking about? But again, in a matter of hours, his blood would be shed as he hung on that cross. They didn't see it yet, but it was coming hours away. And there is no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses you from your sin. It satisfies the Father so we can be forgiven and free. Those lambs of old had their purpose, but none compared to the great Lamb of God, Jesus, whose blood once and for all sets us free and alleviates our condemnation and gives us new hope. In these moments here as we close in song and worship, I want you to worship this Lamb of God. And on your own, you take those elements and you you thank Him for His shed blood and His broken body. You thank Him for His resurrection. You thank Him for the forgiveness of sins and the way He cleans us with His love.